We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com, the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Charlie, got one game of Timberwolves preseason basketball in the books. We, neither of us were in Phoenix for the game, of course, but we risked our... The safety of our computers. of our computers. (laughs) It's, someday we'll look back and be like, you remember how many times when we were... Younger, we illegally streamed. Yeah, I had professional a, sporting events. I mean, not just this. Like, think about how I, every Sunday I do it. Every yeah. Sunday I stream Red Zone. One of my buddies texted me as the game was started, and he was like, "Honestly, it kind of feels good to be searching the the depths of the internet for <laughs> <laughs> streams again." I mean, it's a, certainly a sign that you're a fan if yeah. you were doing that at nine o'clock at night on a what Tuesday evening to watch a Wolves Suns preseason game. <laughs> I think it does speak to at least for me. Like, what you you and I were talking. Texting during the day, like, what if we can't get this? Like, how how stupid is it? Like, the amount of brain power or just podcast hours that we've spent talking about a new roster and all the changes to the Timberwolves and everything that's happened with this team <laughs> over the, the whatever the course of the past six months, and then they actually play basketball and we can't watch it. That would have been <laughs> just like a real indictment. I feel like, yeah, um, it's. And, I'm sure there's a reason, but it just seems so weird that you can't get a feed of that somewhere. Like that league pass doesn't have the arena feed or something like that. It's it's a bummer. Right. If you're paying it, uh, I understand the, the if you're paying your money for the league pass and you want to be able to watch the league that yeah. I mean, but the, it's it's an issue. They, the game Wolves games are blacked out all the you know yeah. all the time during the year. They 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 can I don't know, maybe if they just like bumped it to 250 and it's like 
Everything. Yeah. It's everything. No blackout, no nothing. Everything you could have. I don't know. Maybe that would fix it. Uh, We are recording this, as you can tell by that intro, uh, a day after the Wolves play the first game against the Suns, the first preseason game against the Suns. Normally, uh, when Charlie are recording, it's going to be Thursday nights, but the uh, president of the United States is having a rally outside of our office this Thursday evening, which precludes us from being able to get into our studio. So... I think it actually works out good. Yeah. Because, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious how many people did do the illegal stream thing. It can't be that many. It just can't be. It can't be. So what, It wasn't easy to find. It was, it was tough. <laughs> it was t- Well, we were, we both had the same stream. You're like, is yours on NFL Network right now? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we watched that. We're going to hit on that. But this will also be our third installment of kind of our, our roster season preview. If you kind of scroll back in the log, you want to listen to us go through the big man position. We went through uh, five bigs, um, five wings, and now we're going to do five guards today that we chose. We split it up in a way where it's Jeff Teague, Josh Akogi, Jared Culver, Shabazz Napier, and Jalen Noel. So we'll get to that, but I think it is worth touching on some observations we had uh just from the game last night, actual basketball, seeing how these guys play together, or more more importantly for me, who the coach is deciding to play when he's playing them and how he's playing them. That was... Uh, it was fun because we've talked about for the whole summer, like the whole, not only did the, the front office and the coaching staff turn over, but the roster did as well. And that combination of new players and new philosophies was bound to to bring a lot of new stuff, and it was really fun to watch. It's probably the most informative uh, first preseason game I can think of in a while because normally, I mean, tracking back in my memory, it's you're looking to see the new player. You're like, oh, you know, Brandon Rush or, yeah. you know, something like that, well, whoever the – even Jimmy Butler, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's just different. It, it, it's different because there, there hasn't only been roster turnover. There's new faces. But there is schematic turnover, cultural turnover, stylistic turnover, whatever you want to say. It's the Timberwolves feel more different than they feel more different this season compared to the season prior than any time I can really remember. I suppose there's probably a pretty big juxtaposition the first time, the first Tibbs year. There's probably, there's this, yep. with change comes a spark, right? Yeah. And, uh, this is the first time, though, that like so many of the key players have been turned over, especially if you yeah. consider the fact that Robert Covington only played, what, 13 games last year? Like, even that year when Tibbs came in, there was still Towns, Wiggins, Levine, Rubio, like the core yeah. players who were going to eat up a majority of the minutes were still there. And this year, it's it's really just Towns and Teague. Well, even I mean, with, and Wiggins, I And guess. even just with the, the starting, let's just look at the starting lineup, right? Like, okay, so you got continuity in the sense that you have Cat, Wiggins, and Teague. You have that, but Covington is not only a player who only played 22 games for the team last season, but he's also playing a new position this season. That's very different. And then Jake Lehman is now into this group, essentially kind of replacing Taj Gibson or Jimmy Butler, depending on how you look at it. And that's just a wildly different player. And then you get to the bench, and it's completely different. You Mm -hmm. know, whether you're talking about Jared Culver, Shabazz Napier, down the list of... Of the 15 guaranteed rosters, guaranteed contracts they have right now, eight of them are new. So it's more than half the team is has turned over, and 
that makes any basketball, even if, if it's against the Phoenix Suns in a preseason game on an illegal stream in a computer, it makes it um, intriguing. What was just big picture um, your, your biggest observation from that game? Well, like you. What popped? Well, what popped was going into it kind of to the point you made about Jimmy Butler, like when a new player comes in, especially a one that's supposed to assume a pretty big role, that's like the most exciting thing sure. to see. But Jimmy Butler was also a superstar in Chicago before. So I had somewhat s- of a known, a known quantity. Yeah. You'd seen him play a lot, a lot of times. So I was so excited to watch Jarrett Culver because I had watched him in that final four run and I, you know, I had done a lot of watching, going back and watching his film, but I hadn't seen him play a game, especially not an NBA game against right. NBA competition. And that was so exciting to me to see, you know, how does his size look against this competition? How fast does he look against this competition? What does his shot look? Because I haven't been at practice watching him shoot a bunch. And so that was fascinating to me. So he he is what popped to me. I don't know if that's just because it's what I was paying to paying attention to so much or if it's because he looked good. Because I do, I do think in general he looked good. I was surprised to see them put him out there as the point guard in that really fun lineup. That was, for me, that was, I was like, this is totally different. Yeah. He's actually playing point guard. I mean, that, even if it's, they're just testing that, that says a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, I've really shifted the way I'm thinking about the point guard position this year from one preseason. I know know that seems kind of like reactive, but not only that he did play point guard, but that's where he looked most comfortable. Yep. I'm at least putting a pin in that and saying, okay, if this does prove true, you know, give us the whole preseason, even give us, you know, 10 regular season games or something. If Jerk Culver is looking most comfortable in a lead ball handler role, then that that changes the equation. Mm-hmm. Because the way, I mean, I know just from the way you and I have been talking about it, we've been thinking about him as a secondary or third, oftentimes a third ball handler on, on the floor. And it starts to become a real opportunity cost question of how far down the ball handler ladder do you want to put him on the court? Or, uh, on that, when he, with the guys that he's on the court with, yeah, Jeff Teague. If he's out there with Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he's the third. Mm-hmm. And the one, the first preseason game suggests that he's most comfortable in a primary or secondary lead ball handler role. Yeah, which is which is somewhat surprising, and that also opens up so many doors for what you, you know who you can play him with. And we saw that last night that he was out there with it opens Josh. up a whole new other position. We were thinking about yeah. him as a two-three, right? Yeah, totally two-three. Break glass in case of emergency third point guard. Mm-hmm. And now it's one through three. Yeah, especially a two. And now it's one through three. And he was out there with Josh Okogie and Andrew Wiggins and Robert Covington and Carl Anthony Towns. And that's a lineup that is exciting for obvious reasons because they're like kind of just the five most exciting players on this team. And, and they have sure. long-term implications for the team. But it looked good. Like if, if he can be a playmaker and they can take advantage of that length on the defensive end, as long as they don't just get clobbered on the boards, like that's a lineup that could be really fun to watch all season. And I thought it was cool to get a glimpse of it. And it did look good. Anytime Carl was on the floor, it looked good. Yeah. Which uh, regardless of, you know, who was the point guard or who else was out there with him. Um, yeah. You said what, what popped to me, what popped to me is probably more than anything is that 
Carl, the, the Wolves outscored the Suns by 19 points in the 19 minutes Carl Anthony Towns was on the floor and they still lost the game. And that just made me kind of anxious about like, oh, do we have to get used to that? Right. Because that's what, when we were talking with Charks, that's what he said is what are the, what are the Timberwolves going to do when Carl Anthony Towns is off the floor? <laughs> very much struggle. And that's <laughs> probably something, a, a question we didn't focus on enough throughout the offseason because it, yeah. it's... Part of that, I think, is just because it's a given. Like, they're not a very talented team. So if Carl Anthony Towns is not on the floor, like, yeah, they're going to be bad. Right. But, but if, to see it. It might be real bad. It was, that, I mean, uh, what, what I would say pop for me was just the overall size uh, of the group. And I think you, there's two tentacles to that, uh, where it's they, when they played small and Cat was the biggest player, you're like, okay, this offense it was, I, I wrote just observations from the game thing. It was, it was quick twitch was the way I described it. And even just those very first two possessions, it was bang, bang into a pin down for Cat. And Aiton was, Aiton was slow to close out. And Cat, you know, Cat popped a three with like probably 15 on the shot clock or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is definitively, that is the antithesis of what the, the Thibodeau system was so much last year, where there, it was just more patient. And that worked too. I mean, two years ago, the good year, they were well, the fourth in offensive rating. Like yep. that patient work, patience worked. But I saw that quick twitch fit in so well with the small ball unit there as kind of anticipated. But it was just good to see. It certainly beats the alternative of yeah. being like, oh, this is awkward. Um, but then the other tentacle of it is that <laughs> they stayed small, mm-hmm. really small when when Cat left the floor. And. I mean, it's one preseason game, so I don't want to like overreact too much to it. But I thought that was like way too cute. It's way too cute of a a lineup. They put in Noah Vonley at the five, and they went. I mean, Trevion Graham was the four. They went with Josh Kogi, Jarrett Culver, and Shabazz Napier. It's too small. Mm-hmm. It's too small. I mean, I, I would be startled if that works. Yeah, it's too small, especially if Vonley's going to get pushed around like he did last night. Well, yeah. And credit to Aiton. Looked great. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, that was a... But you even see it with Saric. Like, Saric can push... A guy like Saric can push guys around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was guarded by Covington more often than not, but still, he took advantage of it a few times. It's... Again, Phoenix is one of those teams. I'm, when we were going through it, I listed 13 teams of the league who I would call big, you know, mm-hmm. where they have two big guys up front, defining it in that sort of way. And I would say that's Aiton and Sarge for them. And that's going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. There's 13 teams or whatever. You don't want to pick and choose. About half the league is going to be that big. And I think the Wolves can punish those teams like that, like they did when Cat's on the floor. And with the starters, they are going to be too fast for them. And mm-hmm. it's going to be problematic for those opponents, if particularly those bigger opponents who are more lumbering. Um, I, I, think, I think the offense will have success. But... For at least in that game, for every degree of success, I noticed uh, them gathering from small ball. They lost it on on the defensive end or, and on the with the second unit. Yeah, like to a, to a made. I mean, you could see it with the first unit too. Like they looked yeah. really good on the offensive end. They were still letting in a lot of buckets right. on the defensive end. And then once Carl Anthony Towns goes off the floor, that dynamic gets you know magnetized yeah. majorly. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's it just it has. That did not, nothing that happened that game quelled my biggest fear of this team. Um, not only being small and struggling with uh, being able to handle that, but also even having 
players on the roster who could do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Oregon Jang has to play. Yeah. I, oh, I agree. And I think that even if they don't feel that way right now, they're going to be forced into feeling that way at some yes. point. How do you... But like how many... How long is it going to take before like you're, you're sounding alarm and go, we, we actually can never do just Fonley at the five and then a super... And like a, a small ball four. Like how long are you going to wait for that? And I, I, what I do think is important to acknowledge is... Jordan Bell wasn't there in that game. Yeah, I was going to tre- Is Trevion Graham turned into Jordan Bell? And then you're going, that's a little bit bigger of a Because Jordan Bell's court. not big, but he's bigger. So he, I, I wonder. He's certainly bigger than Trevion Graham. Yeah. He has more experience defending bigs. Even though Trevion Graham, you know, did play power forward in a small ball role for, for Brooklyn last year. But yeah, it's it's not only that. Trevion Graham is a small power forward. Joshua Kogi was the three. Yeah. Or Jarrett Culver. And then Jarrett Culver's the two. And Shabazz Napier's the one. I mean, that's small across the board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you how do you how do you balance that in terms of defensive rebounding? Mm-hmm. Or just in terms of strength uh, against other opponents? And so I, I don't mean to, you know, hyper focus on that, but uh it was the manifestation of an entire narrative throughout the offseason. Sure. And just was as was the positive. Yeah. That you're going through Cat. And let's acknowledge that they went through Cat. And when they went through Cat, it looks great. Oh, he looks so good. He looks so good. And and you know what? Cat's going to play 34, 35 minutes a game. So that's a you know a, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be okay. Particularly yeah. if Covington's at the four. Really quickly, what did, uh, what did you think about Covington at the four and kind of how that matched up? I, like I said, I thought it was telling to watch Dario Saric kind of blow him over a couple times and getting to the bucket. Um, but beyond that, I just I, I more want to reserve judgment until I feel like he's or I either know that he's at full strength or I know that he's not. Because mm-hmm. with Robert Covington, I'm still trying to figure out whether he's injured, whether he's still injured, because he doesn't totally look like himself. And he only played, what, 11, 12 minutes last mm-hmm. night. And I know that's like that was the point. We're going to, you know, ease him into it. But I want to know that he's full, fully healthy. What, what he's saying for now is that he's not um, like from there from a stamina standpoint uh, in playing okay. shape. And, and that just comes from, I mean, it's been nine months since he's played a, in an NBA game. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's not saying that the knee is an issue. They're not saying the knee is an issue. It's he, he's saying the issue is I need to get in better playing shape. And what I thought was super encouraging for me because I, I too was watching the game and I had my eye on him and I'm like, okay, he, he's not popping. He's not really looking explosive, but Mm-mm. he had an excellent block on Devin Booker where it was Booker Booker cut back door as Robert Covington is wont to do. He acknowledged that, grabs the, you know, grabs the switch, chases him down and exploded up for a big time rim contest block on, on Devin Booker. And I was like, that that play, at least that one play in a vacuum, he looked healthy and as explosive as I've seen him before. Now I know there are some, there are some real concerns around just a knee and the, the, the wear and tear of that. I continue to be optimistic and, and not assuming that this is going to be something that is arthritic or, or, you know, really lingering in, in that sort of way. And that one play against Booker did a lot for me yeah. to, to, to see that, the combination of what he's good at and doing it explosively was was big. Because if if his knee was sore or something like that, it's hard to believe he would have done that. He mm-hmm. would have gone and given it his all. And you, you see that one play where he got kind of like uh, kind of got like hip checked, mm. and uh, 
it, it was just like it was just like a the Wolves were grabbing a defensive rebound. It wasn't him. I don't know if it was like Sarge or Kaminsky, and they kind of come flying in, going for an offensive rebound. And and Covington's up in the air, and he gets that hip check, and he comes down and just lands on the one his on his one leg. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and his weight is kind of tilting. It was just like the classic, like, uh oh, like totally. And hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, kinda. I and and you know maybe looking at that with too much of a microscope, but he ran back down the floor yeah. and uh, was, you know, uh, appeared to be fine in that sort of way. So it, it's it's hard to know exactly what's all going on inside of that knee. Um, I My hope is it's just something that needs more, um, like, experience more so than it's something that can be jarred loose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't... I certainly don't have more concerns about it after watching one preseason game than I did before. Yeah. The one thing I, I did that I I, uh, I wanted to note on that was he was guarding Dario Saric. And they, they instead of last year where he was guarding other teams' point guards, I mean, we saw him guard Damian Lillard. We saw that, mean, that being his primary matchup, Akemba Walker. They went that way and they said Robert Covington is our point of attack defender with mm-hmm. this, in this group. And that didn't happen um, at all kind of by necessity, because last season, you know, against this team, you know, there would be Taj Gibson and Carl Anthony Towns out there, or Carl Anthony Towns and Dario Saric out there to defend those yep. two, two bigs. Covington had to stay on the big, which prevents him from being a point of attack defender. And I don't know. I, we've, we've talked about this before. I, is, to what degree, if any, does that subtract Robert Covington's defensive value as a player by being off the ball compared to on the ball. And I think there's arguments on both sides. Yeah. Cause in throughout his success with the wolves last year on the defensive end, he, he did do a lot of defending the point of attack, but it's not what he did exclusively. Like mm. he was, su- and, and in Philly too. And in Philly yeah. too. Like he's, he's successful in kind of both those individual and, and, and team aspects of defense. But when Andrew Wiggins was taken out like four minutes in with three fouls or whatever it was, <laughs> and, and they put Trevion Graham yeah. in instead of Josh Okoge or Jarrett Culver, that was interesting to me because it felt like, you know, I don't know why Ryan Saunders did that, but it felt like uh, a sign that he realized there is such thing as too small. And maybe that's not true because later in the game he kind of went too small. Yeah. But it felt like saying, okay, I realize that if I put Jarrett Culver out there for Andrew Wiggins, we're, we're really getting small. So maybe he wanted some more mm-hmm. size. But that just got me thinking because I was thinking about how nice it'd be to have Robert Covington guarding Devin Booker. And it made me think about more lineups with both Robert Covington and Trevion Graham at kind of like sure. the three slash floor four next to Carl Anthony Towns and how that could be could be versatile right. because they can kind of both both be big enough to defend most power forwards, both reliable as help defenders and also both, you know, pretty good point of attack players. Right. It was, it was interesting. I thought that they started the game with that was Jake Lehman's assignment mm-hmm. was was Devin Booker. And then, as you said, Wiggins picks up those four fouls early. He's out of the game. Travion Graham comes into the game and his primary, then they went, I've got Booker, Lehman slid over to Cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the kind of prioritization of, you know, who are we going to have on Booker? And, and it wasn't, it wasn't exclusive because they were, if it, if there was, if they were in transition or, you know, if there's some, you know, some sort of screen, they were re, they're switching or, you know, switch partners, same, same size in that sort of way, where it wasn't a big deal. If it was Lehman versus Graham versus, I mean, even Wiggins, when he was back in there, you know, took some of that a possession on Booker here and there by, because it was all interchangeable. But it said something to me that, okay, Jake Lehman 
is going to be our point of attack defender, at least for that game. It's going to be our, point, our main point of attack defender on the opponent's best wing player. Covington is not. He's going to guard the four. Mm-hmm. And then when Trevion Graham comes in, we want him to be that guy over Lehman and have him kind of slide up onto the, you know, a, a wing or, or something that way. And yeah. I don't want to be over obsessed too much about what we, those guys played like a handful of minutes together. But the first quarter, you're trying, you know, and you're, mm-hmm. you're, and even in preseason, you're more strategic and you could see that. I mean, you're trying to execute something and that's what they were trying to execute. Which yeah. I wouldn't have guessed. It's gonna that's gonna end up being the big push and pull with Jake Lehman because he does have these offensive capabilities like his willingness to move off the ball that makes him a good fit within that starting group, but he might not be as good of a point attack defender as I mean, I don't think he is as good a, at that as Josh Okogi is, and he might not even be as good at it as Jarrett Culver is against certain opponents, like against point guards. Yeah, so. I really don't know yet. I I don't feel like I have that figured out because even we've been talking about it and so I've kind of tried to go back and look at some stuff he was just he was so clearly in Portland the fifth guy Mm -hmm. it was just like you're out there you don't have we're not using you as this like chess piece to take over a a specific role we want you to be the fifth guy don't mess up Mm -hmm. and and now if he's when they play Phoenix they do that again you say okay you know, you're going to play 30 minutes tonight. And we're going to have you for a lot of those guard Devin Booker. I mean, that is a role. That is like a, 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 a serious role. And I don't, I don't think we have a track record in, in Jake Lehman's career to know if he is good or bad at that or yeah. somewhere in between, you know, and that, that will be, we're going to get data points on that. I think even over the, the preseason. Yeah. And maybe that was m- more of just a, you know, like let's throw him into the fire a little bit. I mean, one data point might be that he was the fifth guy in Portland. Like if he was yeah. a super good wing defender, they right. probably would have had him do it. Um, but you're right. Like some players are just young and like that Portland yeah. team did have good players on the wing who could defend well. So right. that'll be interesting to watch. I know we both, projected or guessed that Jake Lehman would be the starter a few weeks ago, but were you at all <laughs> were you at all surprised even having even though that you well, thought that was a Yeah, that was I mean I wrote something a month ago where I kind of did all the options of who it could be. Between. Yeah, you made a case for everyone. And but Lehman was who I, you know, put my quote unquote money on, but I wavered off of that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I totally did as I thought mostly more about the size thing that I thought Noah Vonley made a lot of sense if you're playing a team like Phoenix. So I was, um, I thought that was a possibility. And then it just seemed like there was a decent amount of buzz about it being Josh Okogie. So I, I kind of went into that game. And then there's also the fact that they picked a guy sixth overall in the draft. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And and I think Jordan Bell was out of the equation for that game because he was injured with a calf strain. But yeah, I didn't know. I, I, I certainly didn't know. I would, I would guess now that first game of the season against Brooklyn, that it will be Jake Lehman. Uh, but Ryan did say at practice on Tuesday that we'll probably try different starting lineups throughout the, throughout the preseason even. Oh, okay. So, I mean, let's not, let's not give this job to Jake Lehman right now. You know, there's, there's going to be differences. Well, just for the sake of gathering another data point in the next preseason game, which is tomorrow night, Thursday yeah. against the Warriors. Who who in an ideal world would you like to see start? Just just to see another version, or would you want oh, it to be Jake Lehman again? To, do I want to see something? I mean, I if against Golden State, I would start 
Jay Clement again. If I wanted to win that game, if it was a regular season game, I think. But I mean, just for preseason, like you're the coach and you, you, you sing, okay, I got my, you know, Jake Lehman starting data point. I want to try another one. I want to try Josh Okogie with, with the starting group, or I want to try Noah Vonley with the starting group or Jared Culver. Who would you most want to see next? Take I would a- want to see Vonley. Okay. If okay. I, if I want to gather information yep. because Vonley did eventually get in there for like the last three or four minutes of the second quarter to close the half. Uh, and then the Wolves kind of quit after the, for the second half. But he played alongside Cat there. And I want information on that and the the synergy of that because, I, again, I just think you're going to need to play two bigs mm-hmm. if Noah Vonley is one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I don't know, Golden State isn't huge. I'm assuming, I don't, did you, well, I, well, I did watch their, some of their Against first the preseason game. Who do they start? Collie Stein? I don't remember. Or Looney. I, I, I think they'll probably start half. Looney and Draymond. And and then I, it's just coming to kind of make sense to start there. But if I want more information, that's yeah. what I want more information on is is two big sets. So I would I would say Vonley. It's going to be, it was really interesting to see Phoenix pay no attention to Noah Vonley beyond the three-point line last night. Totally. And he didn't shoot. No. He didn't shoot there. Aiton was just sitting at the nail, yeah. basically. Yeah. Like, I mean, kind of hand out. Like, if you start loading up, I'm going to close out. Yeah. But that did not happen in New York. I've watched I've watched all of Noah Vonley's threes in New York last season. And if he was left open in those situations, he fired him. So mm-hmm. I'm like, it was like four straight possessions. Mm-hmm. He caught it there, and he just kind of went into, like, the Andrew Bogut up there where you just kind of start pivoting and yep. looking for a wing. I was like, wow, yeah. not even, not even squaring to shoot. No, just looking for the handoff. That was, and I wonder how much of that is, you know, he is definitely being told that. Yeah. Cause so that could be quelling a little bit of a fear that we've had that he might kind of go rogue at times within the offense and just take shots whenever he gets them because he wants to get his. Well, he cer- certainly didn't go rogue there, but he certainly went rogue in that. I mean, Noah Vonley looked yeah. awful in that game. He terrible, terrible. Both ends of the floor. I mean, Again, one preseason game. Yeah, awful. It was. It was. Uh, it was bad. How many minutes he he ended up getting? Fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's just so hard. It's so hard to not overanalyze this the only one data game point, we've seen. This one data point, <laughs> awful. Both ends of the floor, awful. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's it. But DeAndre Ayton, I, I that we didn't talk about Phoenix all that team. I'm now I'm excited to watch them. Like yeah. Ru- Rubio and Ayton. Like that's got some Rubio Peck oh, like vibe to I it. I mean, Rubio is—he was always going to get the Rubio bump. Aiton, yeah. He, I mean, Ricky Rubio is just so good. I would for just a say he—he he didn't even need it in that game. No, he was independently a force down low. Totally. That's and Aiton had an underrated season last year too, because mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, you can't shoot, and then there's a couple things get highlighted where he gets cooked in pick and roll, and like, oh, he sucks. Should have been Luca. Should have yeah. been Trey. But I mean, yeah, still should have been Luca or Trey. <laughs> but he wasn't bad. He wasn't yeah. bad last year, and I think. I don't know that that again. His one data point has me somewhat encouraged, but I do want to get to uh, the guards and and go through them because we we haven't we haven't dug into them at all this year. And again, the five we're going to do are Jarrett Culver, Jeff Teague, Josh Okogi, Shabazz Napier, Jalen Noel, Trevion Graham. I would say played he played some two last night, but we we talked about him in the wings so the wing segment of this or the, the previous show we did there. Yeah. So those are kind of the five guards I'm looking at. And um, and we could talk about what we saw from Jared Culver last night in this, but um, let's dig into him. And first, his they'll do his stats from Texas Tech and his contract. Last year, 18.5 points per game, four assists, six and a half boards, 30% from three. Um, those numbers, those counting stat numbers are just about double um, his freshman year. 
at, at Texas Tech, everything, he had a much bigger usage uh, in the team, and he scored more, rebounded more, had more assists. The only thing that really dropped is his freshman year, where he was used much more in catch-and-shoot situations. His three-point shooting dropped from 38% down to 30 uh, as a sophomore. And then his contract, <laughs> do you know what is the, the total he's getting, his contract, the four-year total of his contract is? Uh, no, I don't, but I'll guess like 17 million bucks. It's actually 26.4 because the rookie cow. things jump, but that's four total years of Jarrett Culver, which is less than Andrew Wiggins will make this season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, yep, all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's four years, $26.4 million for him. Wait, so the sixth pick is getting like six million bucks this year, I guess. Then with with raises, with raises, that makes like sense. five, and then raises. Yeah, up. yeah. okay. Um, but well, they 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 added a kick into it three years ago. Now the where the rookie scale is going up fifteen percent a year. Yeah, and this is the now it's three years fifteen percent up every year. So it's one hundred forty five. Now it's one hundred forty five percent of it. Those are weird money <laughs> details. The main strength I have down for Jarrett Culver is, and this is partially informed just by last night, is. Um, downhill attacking, and uh, and then what I added in here was with ball in hand to start the possession. I don't know if he just had a lot of nerves to start the game last night, but he looked really uncomfortable, really shaky. Travel, mm-hmm. basically his first touch, airball his first traveled shot. Last Everybody traveled Well, apparently that's like a point of emphasis yeah. or something. Just like remember last year was like the player the freedom of movement thing. Yep. There's a million preseason. Yep. I mean, if, if they really started calling the travel, Gorgie would be <laughs> so screwed. <laughs> well, yeah, Gorgie did get three travels <laughs> in like five minutes. That was, yeah. Um, but he, Culver was, looked really like that first shift. You were like, oh. Yeah, when he airballed the three. And, yeah. Um, but then he came out as the point guard mm-hmm. and it changed. I, I don't know. And I, again, we don't have enough information to know if that was just shaking off the nerves. Or just finding more comfort and being the guy who is initiating the offense because he was, in every sense of the word, the point guard mm-hmm. in that group. Quite literally, Shabazz Napier and Jeff Teague weren't on the floor um, at that time. And and when he was doing that, he looked comfortable. He got he he got the screen. And what I, a couple times, what I saw him do was we knew he had a good first step, but the timing of his first step looked really good. Kind of ha- having that first step beat the defender to opening up the gate and it, it got him to, I don't remember who was guarding him, but twice just to really get all the way by his defender and get to the rim. And, and that, that impressed me. And he just looked so much more comfortable in that role. And I can't, I can't help but have that kind of infect my mind in the way now that I'm thinking about Jared Culver and starting to think, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be good if he's the third ball handler yeah, out there with groups. For him, uh, like for the team, for the team, because that, because what, if yeah. if what he is most comfortable in is mm-hmm. being a primary or secondary ball handler by putting him down to third mm-hmm. in that pecking order, which would be playing with two of Teague, Napier, and Wiggins, then you shouldn't be doing that. There's going to need to be some sort of compensation in a way, which I would think would be staggering him and Wiggins mm-hmm. um, in in some sort of capacity to. To make that work is that is that kind? I, are you? I agree are we with overreacting? you. No, I, I mean we're definitely overreacting on all of this. <laughs> but I I do agree with you. I actually think that the ideal world is that either Culver is even you know maybe he showed glimpses that he could be a, a pretty good initiator this year. I think in an ideal world, either he takes 
a big step or not a big step, but he just way surprises and Culver like can be your group's primary initiator this year. Or Andrew Wiggins takes a big step as an initiator because I'd rather sub Culver in for Jeff Teague because when I look at Jarrett Culver out there, I think he looks really big when he's standing amongst guards and when he's defending Mm -hmm. guards, but when he's, he's defending a wing, he does not look big. He looks small and he looks like he can get pushed around. So I think that in an ideal world, you would have him out there as the one just for defensive purposes. So I'd rather have him playing with Wiggins and those two be the two ball handlers. Mm-hmm. But that would you know, mean that one of those two takes a jump. That's probably very unlikely. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I, I don't want him to be playing with Andrew Wiggins, but if I were Ryan Saunders... I would be looking to make as many of Jarrett Culver's minutes that he is going to be playing with Andrew Wiggins where there's not another point guard. Yeah, without Teague. Without Teague or or Napier. That at least seems worth trying because because I'm concerned about him being the the third guy and not finding, finding comfort there. I think it's okay if he's out there with when Wiggins is off and it's just Culver and Teague or just Culver and Napier because mm-hmm. then he's the secondary. You know what yep. I'm saying? So basically, just don't, in a nutshell, don't get down to three. Yeah, don't, don't have him out there with two other ball handlers. If, if, he is, if he is, in fact, most comfortable in that role, yeah, which we don't know, it just looked like that in the first game. And what's most likely, kind of as we've talked about, is that he can, three, he can shoot catch-and-shoot threes a little bit better than we think he might be able to. So maybe throughout the season, he gets more comfortable in an off-ball role, and he can be out there with those guys. And then or with several other ball handlers, and then his ability to create just becomes even more valuable because you can play him on ball and off ball. But as of right now, based on our one data point, that seems less likely than it did a week ago. We've got a lot of one data point talk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the weakness I I have down, and it just kind of broadly touches on the concern of that three-point shooting number and the 30% in college and just kind of the way in which he shot. Mm-hmm. At, at Texas Tech, the, the shots he was asked to take. And I think you can kind of spin that in two different directions. At Texas Tech, he's shooting off the bounce so much. And so frequently, those off-the-bounce shots were, you know, were, were two-point kind of pull-up sort of looks, quite frankly, Wigginsy, but in the college game was a little bit more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think, I've been, I've been fairly bullish on the notion that he's, I don't think he's a bad shooter and that like we've been stapling him too much to that 30 percent but i i am seeing a hitch in his jump shot just from it's just when we do get to go to practice because he's the person i know the least about he's the one i focus on the most and it's just in an open gym setting doing shooting drills but i see a hitch in his shot and i see the hitch be more noticeable when it's coming on the move and that's just only natural. Everyone, yep. everyone has that. You're on the move. Your feet, your feet aren't as set. You're not then. And if your feet aren't as set, you don't have as much explosion from the bottom of your body. You're launching more at the top of your body. That's yep. That's what a hitch is. So any coach would say the best way to compensate for a hitch until you can kind of work it out, which Tyus Jones parallel this happened with him, yep. is to just to find catch and shoot situations because then your feet are set. You don't, you don't need that extra, you know, need that extra launch. Um, I, I would be really trying to say, okay, if you're going off the bounce, we don't need to to off the bounce into a three, which for a lot of players, that's what you want for for him. For now, his comfort zone work one, two dribbles into that 16 foot range and, and go from that doesn't need to be a contested mid range all the time, but 
find your comfort in your jumper through that, and then let's kind of expand it out because off the bounce, I don't think he'll be. A, yeah. A, unless it's a pure catch and shoot situation, I don't think he's going to be a quote unquote good shooter to start the season. No, I mean his shot looked bad. It looked really bad. Just mm-hmm. kind of seeing it live for the first time. It, it was weird. Like so, Tuesday at practice, you know, we're there a, a while before, and he's out there just just shooting. And I, I mean, I probably watched a good fifty of them, and uh, and it was, I was like, okay, this probably does need you know some work. Yep. Because he was he was moving, and basically what I had seen before that had given me some encouragement was was watching that his shot mechanics did look consistent um, when he was just in catch-and-shoot situations. Or I, or I just seen him shooting in an open gym setting and his mechanics looked okay. But as he started moving into his jump shot, there was more inconsistency in, yeah. in those mechanics. So I don't know. <laughs> and and that, That's also just one data point, too. Yeah, and that just goes back to the point of him being more comfortable in an on-ball role. I mean, if he's if he doesn't have any confidence in his shot, yeah. it's hard to have him out there, you know, playing anything mm-hmm. but ball handler. Do you have much of a an opinion on his defense yet? No. I th- I just keep the, the more that I watch him and the more that he looks big out there. He did look bigger than I thought. He looked bigger than I thought out there and that just in like the lanky big sense. Yeah. Yeah, he's not like mm-hmm. buff super buff yet but he's just big he's mm-hmm. broad he's tall and that just keeps bringing me back which like his weight doesn't suggest yeah so it's like a it, it's an image thing or like an aesthetic thing right yeah totally and he is is he did the measurements come out he's like six six right he was at the combine like six five and a half yeah no shoes yeah so probably close to six seven with shoes on mm-hmm. i mean whatever that means it's yeah. not really Significant, but that just keeps bringing my mind back to the idea of developing him as in, in into a point guard. Because if you can have a point guard that's six foot six, six foot seven on your team, mm-hmm. that just becomes so valuable in today's NBA, yeah. especially on the defensive end. What you can do having him be your one instead of Jeff Teague yeah. when you're matching up against some of these teams is awesome. Let's move on to Jeff Teague. Contract one year, nineteen million dollars. Last year, he scored twelve points a game. Eight assists, two and a half boards, thirty-three percent from three, which was his, which was a low three-point mark for him. It was also his lowest permanent volume of threes. He shot less threes than he had since the 2011-12 season, and it was his worst overall true shooting percentage since his second year in the league, which was 2010-11. No, no breaking news there. We know that Teague struggled last year, um, at least partially hampered by injuries for sure. Not partially, he was. Uh, from the from the get go of the season, he was never. He told us he was never healthy, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were like the nagging ones that he could play through. But if we want to make excuses for him, that would seem like the most fair yeah. explanation of a of a dip in those numbers, outside of obviously just the chaos of of last season uh, impacting that as well. Um, I don't have a any strong Jeff Teague takes from the first preseason game. He played it like a vet. He looks like, like it's preseason. You know? Yeah. I thought especially in the first quarter or in his first shift out there, you could tell he was really trying to run. He's trying to get the yep. ball across half court with 21 seconds left on the shot clock. Sure. And that tapered a little bit as just the game got into more of a flow. And there there did become a little bit more of like the annoying Jeff Teague dribble. Yeah, he dribble, had one dribble. of those dribble, dribble, dribbles pretty early. Yeah. And that's probably just going to happen. And that kind of has to happen sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We can't every single time <laughs> yeah. that happens, slap him on the wrist. Like no, but I, I, it was good to see that 
you know, despite the fact that it broke down once in a while, he seemed like he was really trying to push push the pace. So as I'm said before, caught on this Culver thought and just just thinking about Jeff Teague and I and I've thought about you know how did can Teague play with Napier how you know how are we gonna how is Teague gonna actually fit into this point guard role and it's not gonna be the you are the guy point guard we are super reliant on you there is going to be some impact where they're gonna you know have Napier they're gonna be some Andrew Wiggins initiation there's gonna be um, Jared Culver apparently and then obviously they want to have Cat be a facilitator to some extent too so I just really started thinking about Jeff Teague back in Atlanta Jeff Teague in Indiana and I was actually just right before this was just was going through and, and remembering this isn't new for him he he's always not always but the last handful of years has had another kind of point guard nipping at his heels and, and that was those two years in Atlanta, even when he was the All-Star, 2014-15, that was Dennis Schroeder. And he also had Horford and Millsap, who were both great passers as big men. So that's what I'm kind of saying. It's He doesn't need to be the king point guard. He, he's done that before, and, and, he's, and he was with Tyus, said publicly numerous times, I want Tyus to play more. Mm-hmm. And complained about whenever he played over 40 minutes a game and said it didn't make sense to him. He is, he's not one of those guys who is demanding a massive role, I don't think. That's not, that's not his personality. And he, he didn't do that in Atlanta. No, I mean, they were known for being a team that shares the ball and moves the pace. They had four All-Stars that year, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it was, it's, it's weird. It's weird. And then, and then I was like, oh, then what about Indiana? It was Monte Ellis. Mm-hmm. Like, and Monte was more of a two, but it was the same sort of thing where it's like, okay, Monte's going to initiate a lot of it. And, and people don't like to hear that, but like Monte Ellis, Jared Culver, is not a terrible comp. No. From what we per, like perceive Culver's style of offensive play to be. Like, I, I think Teague is going to be very willing to take more of a backseat point guard role. At least he historically, you know, has been. Now my concern though, in, in going through and looking at those numbers is in the time he shared the floor with Schroeder those two years, terrible. It was terrible. Like it, it was his only, it was his worst um, net rating of really any, any of those, any of those guys is the year right before he left Atlanta. He was, he was positive with basically everyone he played with, but with Schroeder, not a ton of minutes, but it was minus 11. Was that the year? Was that like Schroeder? I'm trying to remember if that was when Schroeder was really bad or when he was. No, that was like when Schroeder was, was coming yeah. on and yeah. they were like, this is kind of a thing. Like, yeah, like Schroeder's the young guy like to take away from Teague. And they, they didn't play together a bunch. But then once they started doing that, they at least I don't obviously don't remember all those games. But statistically, it was not a good pairing to play Jeff Teague with a with another guard in that sort of capacity. And then I went to Indiana and it was the same thing with Monte Ellis. And he played with Monte a ton and it was his worst two man net rating as well, like by far. So I think Jeff Teague is both willing to share point guard lead ball handler duties, yet I don't think his game is suited to do that. Yeah. Which is concerning. And if that is the case, that's a problem for the way that this team is describing they want to play with a handful of different ball handlers and a, and a handful of different 
roles for their point guard to take on because statistically speaking, Jeff Teague has never been good at handling that type yeah. of role. Well, I wish we would have gotten more uh, evidence of how Teague and Tyus Jones could have performed together because they did show some flashes and maybe it's just... He certainly Den- wanted to. Because Dennis Schroeder and Monte Ellis are gunners. They're like... I, mm-hmm. Selfish is a strong word, but they're self-centered basketball players. Well, I would say they're both selfish basketball okay. players. Okay. Tyus Jones is not. It doesn't seem like Jarrett Culver is. So maybe there's... Maybe that says more about the person he was playing with than it does say... Than it does about himself. Sure. And it was... I mean, it was that Monte... That was his last year in the league. Like, he wasn't playing well, but he also wasn't playing well with peak. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I, that also just makes me think like the dude's got to take five, six catch and shoot threes a game. He just has to, he had that line at media day where somebody asked him about his kind of hesitance to shoot. And he had some response about like wanting to get cat involved. Wasn't that his thing? Yeah. And it's like, dude, that's such BS, man. We're talking about catch and shoot threes. Like even when cat passes you them, like mm-hmm. that's not, a, that's, yeah. that's not an excuse. So he's got to get over that. He's got to he said that he and Ryan. So he spoke a couple days in the training camp to us. And and he said him and Ryan have talked about that specifically. Oh, good because he's, he's a good shooter, a, a fine decent, shooter. Yeah, yeah. Well, on this team, good enough. On this team, he's a good enough shooter to yeah. take five of those a game instead of two and a half. Yet, he never has. He, he's for a player who's kind of grown up in the modern NBA. Like he started his career in two thousand nine, and two thousand nine now to two thousand nineteen. It's this like the evolution, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we're playing faster. Our guards are shooting more threes. There's, it, it's, it's evolved. That position has evolved so much. And you look at Jeff Teague, shot distributions. I mean, you watch Jeff Teague play now, and it is so similar to how he played five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't evolved in that capacity. And now, what I want to caveat of all of this, he's never been bad. He's never been bad playing that. And even though the game has evolved, it's not that it's passed him by Mm-mm. in some sort of way. Yes. People, you can poke at, he had a, he had a bad year last year, but two years ago in the playoffs, like he was a player. And when Jimmy Butler was hurt in the regular season. Yes. Like he, it, it has, he now like hitting the, the, the peak and he's on his way down. And this is another step down. Maybe he's 31. I don't know, but he's not far removed from being, a good point guard, even though he's set in his ways. Yeah, and it, it's a really good point that he has not upped his three-point volume. That's what I'm saying. Even though the rest Same. of the league has it. Well, it was I, his lowest last year. Yeah, I don't have any guess as to why that is, I, while all the rest of his peers are doing the opposite of what he's doing, but I'd, li- I'd like to know. This is probably catering to the audience, but um, I wrote about this numerous times, and it was kind of it's just the way we kind of talked about it. The Ricky Rubio to Jeff Teague was a lateral move mm-hmm. in that they're both similarly similar caliber point guards at the time when Teague was acquired and uh, Teague fit the system. Thibodeau wanted more. So it was like it was a lateral move that that maybe fits the system better. It's not a lateral move anymore. Ricky Rubio's better. Yeah, right now. Like, Absolutely. I mean, Ricky Rubio just got paid. A, a three-year deal where he's getting paid nineteen million a year—that was his market value. Yeah, literally a free agent. That's what he signed for. And what are we talking about with Jeff T right now? 
holy crap, he's making 19 million for one year. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's well, just not, you, I mean, you say the same thing, like, holy crap, Ricky Rubio got a $17 million contract. I mean, it was his market value, but it, it was, it wouldn't have been Jeff Teague's market value. No, but that part of it is the fact that he had such a down year last year. It, yeah. Three months into this year, you could be saying, I, I'm oh, saying yeah. this more as a compliment of, I think Rubio has continued to progress and certainly his summer in international ball suggests that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's, safe to question mm-hmm. if Jeff Teague is starting to come to the end of his career and yeah. question, but most question. of that is based on an injury. Oh, it's one season. Yeah, it's subjective. But Ricky Rubio is good. Ricky, yeah. that, that's, that's my larger point. Yeah. That's my larger <laughs> point. I'm, I'm excited to <laughs> see him, you know, fit in there. I, it's feel kind of, it's not, it's not going to be a good team. And Ricky Rubio mm-hmm. spent a lot of time on not good teams, you know, and Utah didn't end up being what we might have hoped it was for him. And now he's going to play this deal. He'll probably be like 31 by the time that's done. Like, I think that's just kind of the nature of being a, a relatively league average point guard who's like, you know, always has started. Starting starting average. An starting a, average, an average yes. starter point guard. Call it like yes. the 16th best point yeah. guard in the league. Like, you're probably not going to be on the, the best right. team all that often. Right. Um, let's move on to Josh Okoge. He has three years and only $9.3 million on his contract. That's cheap. That's super cheap. <laughs> um, last year, he averaged eight points a game, one assist, three boards, shot 28% from three. In I actually don't have it written down, but I think it was 73 games he played in last year. Obviously took on a much bigger role than probably any of us could have anticipated yeah. um, last season. And as as you've written about, it... It's a really interesting question of how in how into Josh Okogie is this new regime? The fan base is into Josh Okogie. Yep. I, I like Josh Okogie. I think he's a player, you know, that fits. I, even even given that I question his ability to ever really be a shooter, I still think he's a player that can play in this league. And I think his defense, and no, no breaking news here, I think his defense is no joke. Loved when he switched on to DeAndre Ayton and he couldn't move him. Yep. That play, I was like, <clears throat> that, and that is going to be so big. If, if they are going to stay really small and do those two cute lineups where Von lays the four, like a, they're going to need a Kogi to bang with some people. Yeah. Even if it's just on the wing, yeah. you know, like they need strength and, and he has that. So I, I, I think he, I think he, he fits, uh, if it's the style that this team wants to play with. And even if he stinks at three, it's probably not going to stick out that much because everyone does. Yeah. But to go back to your question of not everyone does the talk, <laughs> every, you know what I mean? Yeah. The talking point of like, you know, how does he fit into Rosas's vision or even Ryan yeah. Saunders' vision is interesting. And I think the first data point isn't the most encouraging one for him just by the fact that he didn't, besides that one stint with the, you know, that fun Culver Wiggins, Covington oh. Towns lineup, he didn't get like the most favorable run last night. No, it was kind of more in the, he's played with the young guys yeah. a lot more. Yeah, and as you said before, Trevion Graham was the the first wing into the game for Wiggins, which easily easily could have been a Kogi. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably shouldn't overreact to that, but it didn't happen. Uh, and Cal- Culver played with the with the young guys too oh, yeah, he, a lot, so. or he he's played with the starters too a lot, or like yeah. the main rotation guys. A he lot did, too. yeah. So it's just, I think that's just where he falls in the roster hierarchy right now. Mm-hmm. Is you're in the rotation, um, but probably closer to the guys who are out of it than the real staples of, you know, the Cat, Covington, Mm -hmm. 
and, and Wiggins um, on you know the kind of higher side of the roster. And uh, I think that's a fine role for him. Uh, I, I think Ryan very much strikes me as the type of coach that will reward effort and effective effort. And Josh has a track record of being able to do that. So yeah. there's a there's opportunity for him there. And that, I guess if we want to do the strengths and weaknesses thing, that's what it is. Is it's is it's effort that works. Yeah. It was his strength. His strengths, weaknesses column is like quite literally defense on one side, offense on the other. Yeah. And like he has to get better at something on offense. He can't both miss a high volume of three point attempts and Okay, so what is it? I, I hear where you're going. Where what is it? What is the offensive thing? If you're you're coaching Josh Akogi and you're like, okay, we know we need to work on the shot to get there eventually, what what do we do to give him a green mark on the offensive side. I of the think ball. the number one thing that he can do to improve his offensive efficiency or productivity is become a better transition player. Yep. You can't barrel at the rim because he's going to get several transition opportunities every game if he plays meaningful minutes because he creates steals and he has a nose for the ball and he's just going to end up with it. And if he's going to barrel into the lane and never look for shooters and throw a layup up, you know, over the back of his head every time. It's like, that's the layup. Like, like do what Jake Lehman did like every time he got in transition last night. And if it's not there, just slow down and reset the offense or just look for any shooter. He, Do you he, remember Kata's three, corner three? Yeah. Do you remember how he caught that? Huh. It was, it was semi-transition and Josh is full-on barrel mode to the rim. And he, he kind of gets met at the rim and it was on the far side of the screen, so you could. I'm like, oh, this is. You can't even really, can't even really see him. He's being like enveloped by Saric or Kaminsky or something like that. One of their big guys, and and all of a sudden, this just like weird zip, basically from the far side block to the to the close side corner where Kate is wide open for a corner three. The ball just shoots out, and Kate catches it, knocks it down, like a basically wide open corner three. And I was like, okay, maybe that's what effective yeah. like. Josh Kogi, it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. It's never pretty with him. But he didn't shoot that because yeah. Kaminsky would have blocked it or it would have gone flying off the backboard for a long rebound or something like that. And he in, usually in does still shoot those. So it's it's a good. I don't, like, yeah, it was it was yeah, it was like kind of good. It was it yeah. was kind of good. It's like I don't know if the, any of these highlights or anything is ever going to populate up anywhere on NBA.com or something. But yeah. or if it's going to lay in the like hidden abyss of illegal streams forever. But uh, a Kogi, yeah, watch that play. Watch that play if you can uh, see it. He's, he's, I think the other the other low-hanging fruit for his offensive game is cutting more because he didn't cut. He, he has all the tools, both like the mental willingness and the physical capability to be yeah. a good cutter. And he, at least as NBA, I mean, I think this matches the eye test. According to NBA.com, he registered basically the fewest cuts per game of anyone who got meaningful minutes last year. On the team or the whole on the wolves, excuse okay, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that because he, he, he has the even even in the chaos, he has the physicality to like make it work. Yep, you know he's he's good at like adjusting to contact. Mm-hmm. He's not a whoa throw your head up type yeah. of guy. Like he he stays. You know he goes through it. Yep, you know to the rim and doesn't always work. But like use that. You know use that in a in a in a cutting type of game. Yeah. Um, shooting would help his cutting too, though. But. Shooting would too. I just think those are, we, we need, they need to view his offensive progression in multiple different ways. Because mm-hmm. if we just say, oh, he needs to become a 3 and D guy. 
if that's if that's what your bar is going to be, then that requires him becoming a like league average three point shooter or a solid three point mm-hmm. shooter, and that's just going to be a question mark for him. Yeah, it is. It is now, and it could happen. But yeah, and but he strides away from from that element of it. So it's about finding other things totally. and, and getting even better at defense, getting even smarter. Like, yep. yeah, he's like a slap the ground, like getting your shorts defender. But can you be smarter? Can mm-hmm. can you can you have your head on a swivel a little bit more? Like, he was a guy, and he was so strong that he in situations that a lot of guys would have been clobbered by a screen, he kind of like blew through it. But you know, think think through that. Be be a step ahead of that. You know, outthink the screen rather than outwork it. You know, and I, I think. That is a natural progression of a great defender, and he certainly has the outline of a player who could be yeah. great. There. And all of these smaller, more peripheral uh, improvements would be amazing, but I still don't think they'll ever take away from the fact that he needs to develop his three-point shot. Yep, that's true. No, it's 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 definitely yeah. definitely worth acknowledging. Yeah. Uh, Shabazz Napier uh, didn't necessarily pop either. He is uh, on a one-year contract, $1.8 million, was acquired in that. Ironically, D'Angelo Russell signed in trade last year in in Brooklyn. He averaged nine points a game, three assists, two boards, uh, shot 33.3% uh, from three, played 18 minutes a game, kind of, which you would assume would be his role. Yeah, sounds about here. right. Maybe, maybe if he is able to get in any of those like two-point guard sets or they use him a little bit, in a role outside of just a point guard, which again, he's done in Brooklyn and Portland in the past, playing alongside Russell, playing alongside Dame and CJ in Portland. Maybe it could expand beyond that, but that's kind of what you're thinking about with yeah. him is fill up the backup point guard minutes that Jeff Teague isn't going to play. And Jeff Teague's older, he'll probably miss some games and yeah, I would guess see what you could do in a bigger role too. I would guess Napier will, 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 his career high was in minutes per game was last year, right? Eighteen point like seven minutes per game. Oh, no, I'm sure he probably played more in. When did he play more in Portland? Uh, I think last year was. His, hey, I got it. Yeah, no, no, he played. He right. played twenty one. He went twenty one. He was great that year in Portland. Yeah, right th- before I went to Brooklyn. I think he'll he'll push or break that mark, that twenty one minutes per game mark, because hmm. I think like you're saying, he'll he'll eat up almost all of those in all likelihood, almost all of those backup point guard minutes. There is call it a you know. 10 to 20% chance that Jeff Teague is just regressing and this coaching staff might say, this guy's on an expiring contract, like whatever, let's play the better player. And if Shabazz Napier is just the better player, he could earn some more minutes that way. And then there's just the, the nature of injuries and the, the fact that Jeff Teague misses call it eight games this year. And so I think, yeah, I think he'll play like 20, 22 minutes a game. And, and to maximize that time, he needs to be a, he needs to be a, a pick and roll weapon. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be a point guard who unleashes talents when when those two are playing together. And which I don't know how much that'll be. It'll depend on how they stagger it. But then separately, and this is the greater challenge, is can when they're in those messy non-cat lineups, can you give us a little bit of consistency? Can can you help us get into an offensive possession? Can you initiate the offensive possession? Can you score yourself? To, to get something going there because it looks like that second unit group is going to be somewhat of a struggle. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, Carl was talking about him the, the other day in, in rave reviews, but he also pointed out, he goes, but Jeff Pitt plays a lot faster. Really? A, a really surprising. It's just, quote. and I kind of went into this when, when Bert was on, it's 
faster is that is we don't have that term defined. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very simple word, but in basketball, it's more complicated than that. I think what Carl's talking about is. Jeff likes to get it in the half court quick. And then what we think about, though, is how he slows down the end of possessions. Yes, I think there's a big difference between how players probably, you know, contemplate the term fast mm-hmm. compared to how we do. Or, yeah, or and or how we just quantify it. Because he's just quite literally thinking, oh, my God, Jeff Teague is already above the half court line. Like, I got to sprint down there what, to get on the block. Which Teague does. Yeah, which Teague does. Which Teague does. And I think uh, Shabazz is faster in the notion that he's more decisive. Yeah. And can he be properly decisive? In the pick and roll is going to be huge for his offensive game. He's, um, he's as a defender, he's been a player who, who can be fi- given his size. It's surprising how good some of his defensive numbers have been over the course of his career, and mm-hmm. even playing the two and kind of getting by there. Yeah, as a guy who I, whoever the play by play person was on the broadcast or something, they multiple times referred to Shabazz Napier as six one. <laughs> Shabazz Napier is not six one. Like Shabazz Napier, I just, he's a strong dude though. I don't know, man. He's not huge, but like you compare him to some other of those like 5'11", six foot guys. Like, I mean, mm, Teague I is, think I disagree. Really? I mean, Teague is the ultimate like six feet, but big. Sure. But like compare uh, Shabazz Napier to Tyce Jones. Like I think Napier's got some more bulk to him than Tyce does. No, 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 no. Tyce, I got to see bigger. Napier in person. Yeah, I, I'm, that's where I'm going off of yeah. is standing next to him. Yeah, and he's a lot smaller than me. Like arms wise, like arms girth. wise, Tyus is is bigger. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, look uh, particularly new Tyus. Look, check out some. I ran check into out Tyus at Brugger's recently, and I mean, <laughs> but, uh, hey, I mean he's big. Yeah, but he's he's bigger than he looks. On Tyus TV. came in real small. Real Tyus, small. Tyus put on. Tyus has put on some. It's fine. Like Shabazz can be small and still be effective. He has mm-hmm. been. Mm-hmm. Again, he was. He's the same size he was two years ago in Portland, and it worked. You know. And they got by defensively. They were good at defense that year, actually. When you know when he was there, and which obvious, which Portland Vanterpool, all that—that's a strength or a positive in his column that he's familiar with that system and familiar with not only playing with Vanterpool, but he has experience playing with Noah Vonley, has experience playing with Jake Lehman. Like he's fit theoretically for a brand new player should be somewhat seamless. Yeah, and and I think that. The point that you brought up to, to start off this whole section was spot on because he is going to have to be like the the organizer of a really messy second unit offense. And it's going to be a challenge unless some of these players really surprise. And that doesn't Or if there's just a big staggering that ends up happening. Yeah. Like a lot of this can change if if Wiggins is like kind of does the Covington last year, mm-hmm. where you're the first sub out of the first quarter and then you're like, you know, taking on the I mean you can change the way you can mess around with the identity of that second unit, even if it's lacking talent, lacking size, lacking whatever. That second units, it's not just this isn't like hockey. You know, it's not five five. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you think that, but it's that there's going to be some staggering. Inherently, there's going to be staggering, and it's going to be on Ryan Saunders to appropriately stagger. But no matter what, Shabazz Napier is going to be a fulcrum, yeah, of that group because I think. He'll play a lot without Cat. Yeah, exactly. And stag- I mean, staggering, playing with Andrew Wiggins instead of Jake Lehman, like as it relates to organizing an offense, might be convenient, but it's not a, like a huge plus. It's mm-hmm. more about the fact that he'll probably play less and less with Towns and Covington. Yes. Uh, quickly, Jalen Noel is the last one. He did get some run last night, um, which was cool. Hadn't didn't get to see him play in uh, in summer league. He he. 
inherently holds some allure as a three-point shooter and I shot 44% from, from three last year. Actually, his stats were just pretty impressive. Really good. Yeah, I mean, 16 points, three assists, five boards, 44% from three, 34 minutes per game. And what was his field goal percentage? It's over 50%, right? Overall, I have it right. Oh, no, no, I don't. I mean, it, it, it was impressive to me. His, his like so including his his two point yeah everything. Um yeah okay if you don't have it it's fine but I just remember it's looking just basketball references very slow over fifty percent fifty point two yeah I mean so yeah for, and so from two guard. it was fifty two and a half yeah as a, yeah well that's the thing you call him, just call him a point guard yeah he is was he, a point guard in college yeah, but is he in the NBA uh, I don't know yeah I don't I, I guess I don't know like either it. but uh, he he didn't it's worth noting that he didn't no play that at all once. They got into the second half, you know, play the guys who aren't going to play group mostly. Uh, it was Tyrone Wallace was the point guard. And then they went to Jordan McLaughlin, who is the two-way guy who's on a who's a point guard on, on a two-way contract with the Wolves. So I think from that data point, uh, Jalen Noel was like a two. Yeah. But he's a, he's a small two. Yep. He's a Monte Ellis. Yeah. Keep that thing going. <laughs> yeah. Like- um, but he... he it's it's one of those things, and Charks was talking about this with us too. He's like, in Houston, I promise that guy would have gotten run because mm-hmm. he could shoot, and that is a role that the team needs. Can Noel prepare himself in a way to be able to to handle that? I have no idea how he's going to be able to defend at the NBA level. No, um, but it, it's going to take. He's going to have to add something to his resume outside of um, just being a, a shooter. I think he's got. I think he's. He's got some good wiggle and can kind of yeah. get into the mid range. He had, some I think he had like, yeah, one or two of those last night mm-hmm. where he took his guy off the dribble, pulled up. It was smooth. Like he's a he's a scorer. Yeah, he's a scorer. Yeah. Even if it's, I mean, he's twenty years old, nineteen, twenty years old right now. You know, or I guess he's two years, so he's got to be twenty. Yeah. Um, he, he's an interesting piece. Him being more of an off ball player kind of throws this what I'm about to say into question, but I was, when we were talking to Charks after we left, after we recorded that podcast, because he's more of a draft guy. I don't know that much about Jalen Noel, but I asked him, you know, he's, he seemed really high on Jalen Noel. So I asked him why he thought he got taken 48th overall and not like 28th or something. And he said, well, which I know he's, he played in his own defense in, in college at Washington, which makes it hard to evaluate how he is as a defender. And he said, the other primary reason is that Matisse Thibel was kind of Washington's like guy. Yep. So he kind of took a back seat, which just made me think, okay, if the fact that he played in his own scheme in college dropped him, call it 20 spots, at, you know, mm-hmm. on the draft board, that feels like a market inefficiency sure. that maybe the Wolves took advantage of. And I'm not like super optimistic about that, you know, being a, a, a strong likelihood, but I think it's a possibility. Well, and to the Thibel point, Thibel is a senior. Mm-hmm. Like and and Noel was a was a second year player there, so that carries a dichotomy in the college game, you know the whole age hierarchy there. Yeah. That doesn't that does not impact your uh, your stock as a as a pro. In fact, it should be the other way. Mm-hmm. The younger guys totally. often you know carries more allure in the fact that they are unpolished. They are not a finished product yet in the way as you know Matisse Thibault is like Kata. Where yeah, it's it's you come into the league as a twenty three year old. Yeah, you know? you're expecting more present value. Exactly. So um, yeah, he he's certainly worth watching. Definitely a guy that it's going to be important, I think, to to take notes on during the preseason because I don't think we'll see yeah, him yeah. You know, during the regular season. Um, we'll, we'll go watch him in Iowa. 
Yeah, no, that'll be sweet. Uh, Iowa is just going to be worth. We're going to find some illegal streams to. to get we'll just some drive. Iowa. We're just going to drive. Yes, there. well, I, I definitely want to uh, make that trip happen again. Um, all right, that's all we have uh, for this episode. Uh, those are the guards. If you missed, um, you know, if you're just kind of jumping into the wolves now because they're back and actually playing basketball, we did. If you kind of liked how the flow of this was, we did um, went through the bigs in the same way a couple episodes back. We did the same thing uh, with the wings, too. And then wedged in there in between was Jonathan Charks of The Ringer uh, came came on the pod last Thursday with Charlie and I. And then uh, Britt Robson, who will be coming on most Mondays, some Mondays, somewhere <laughs> along there. Not every Monday, but he's going to be on. He'll be on consistently on Mondays. Uh, he was he was here before, too. So. Go back and uh, check out those episodes if you have an insatiable <laughs> desire for for Timberwolves basketball, and we'll have we'll have more. The they got Golden State on Thursday night, so pumped. Another data point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until then, please continue to rate and re- review the pod. It is cool to, to particularly the uh, reviews to to hear what it is that uh, you do like about the pod, and you know if there's something you don't, you can. Certainly say that too, but, uh, but still five stars. But still five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Help us out there. That that is that's uh, helpful. It is just honestly, it's just cool to to hear from people who are uh, consistently listening to the show. So thank you for that. Um, he's Charlie Johnson at C Johns MBA on Twitter. I am Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. Until next time, peace out. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com